On today's episode, we are going to be talking about America's pastime, baseball. Zach couldn't make this episode, so you are stuck with me, and I know we're going to miss his banter, and you're going to miss the dynamic duo that is there, but uh, I figured since he's not here, let's do an episode on something he truly doesn't care about, and that's baseball. So there's many stories, and there are some that are very strange, some that are very shocking, and you know, really, truly hard to believe that they've actually happened, and we have one here and has a little bit of a tie and it's a pretty big stretch to say a tie to cooperstown new york which is home to the baseball hall of fame it's gonna be a fun episode so let's just go ahead and jump right into this i'm matt and this is the your town podcast <laughs> So as mentioned in the introduction, baseball, America's pastime, a sport millions of people love to watch. They support it and they love their beloved teams. Some, you know, they really do like some terrible teams. But at the end of the day, there's some fans, too, that just kind of are jerks to players. But either way, baseball, just like many things in the past, is a very dark and interesting and you could consider wild past. Some of the history can actually be seen in Cooperstown, New York. Cooperstown, New York is home of the Baseball Hall of Fame. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, it's a must-see for any sports fan. Just really cool to kind of walk the halls and just see and be inches away from history, and it's just a really, really great experience. A lot of uh, just really cool stuff, and whether you're a fan or not, it, maybe you just like history, maybe you like antiques, Cooperstown Baseball Hall of Fame is your place. Plus, shout out to the Irish Pub right around the corner. You're outside Cooperstown, continue to walk straight, take a right. It's on the left right across from a Chinese restaurant. Big fan of that place. But either way, let's jump into some good stuff, and just kind of keep in mind that 1900s, late 1800s was a much different time. And we're going to continue to jump into what that really means. But today on this episode, if you saw the title, Ty Cobb, Man or Monster, this was a headline that was in, you know, the, the papers and all of the media that there was back in this time. Let's talk about him. So he's obviously in Cooperstown. He is a Hall of Famer. This is where we're, you know, really stretching that this has some ties to this. And it's it just kind of funny to me, not funny, maybe that's the wrong word, but it's interesting to me that he is a Hall of Famer and he was one of the most voted in Hall of Famers ever in baseball. And he's got some stuff. He's, he's not exactly what I would think the Hall of Fame considers you know, a good person with you know, with ethics and all of that other stuff. But we're not going to get into this because there are some really good Hall of Famers that have great numbers. I'll use Barry Bonds, for instance. I mean, he's the home run king. He's got some great stuff, but he's never going to probably be a Hall of Famer. But Ty Cobb's in there. All right, let me let me tell you a little bit about this, because like I said, Ty Cobb, did he invent corn on the cob? No, I don't think so. No, but he was known, and his birth name is Tyrus Raymond Cobb. He was born in December 18th, December, baby, 1886. He was nicknamed the Georgia Peach. Um, obviously, an American baseball player. He was a center fielder. Spent most of his time, uh, he played 22 seasons uh, with the Detroit Tigers. The last six of those seasons, he was actually the team player and manager, which obviously you don't see anymore. But could you imagine being a player and a manager at the same time? Like, how would you even sleep? How would you stay awake having to play in a game, manage a game, play in the game with a pretty grueling season? Well, if you're anything like that and relatable, probably not a player manager, but know how we stay awake? Bones 
coffee. They have so many great flavors. They're one of the only coffee companies that you don't need creamer in your coffee because they actually do the flavoring in their roasting. You can get something that tastes like s'mores. You can get something called the Mint Invader, which is like a mint chocolate chip ice cream that so many people like. Fresh baked cannolis with the holy cannoli. The artwork is amazing. The flavor profile is even more amazing. Producer Zach, Zach, myself, we love this coffee. We drink it every day. We truly believe it. We support it. You want to support it? Click the link in the description in the podcast episode, wherever you're listening or viewing, or you can use code BEARDLAWS10 to save yourself a little bit of money. Now back to this amazing episode to hear about this guy, the Hall of Famer, Ty Cobb. It was a thing that was very common in the game back in the day. And then he finished his career with the Philadelphia Athletics. If anybody has a Philadelphia athletic hat, please hit us up. Uh, I would love to rock it on our next episode. But 1936, Cobb received, like I mentioned, the most votes of any player at the time in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. He received 222 out of the 226 votes. For anybody that's not good at math, that's 98.2%. No other player received a higher percentage until Tom Seaver, the great Matt, in 1992. And then Rivera, uh, recent, somewhat recently, actually got 100% of the votes. I'm not going to get into whether I agree or not, but either way, uh, Sporting News actually did an article a while back on baseball's 100 greatest players, and they had Ty Cobb at number three. So pretty interesting, um, just kind of putting uh, into perspective how valued and how good of a player he truly, truly was. So um, Cobb is widely credited with setting 90 MLB records during his career. He combined a total of 4,065 runs, which is even more impressive because he played a lot of his baseball in what was considered the dead ball era, the era where there was just not a lot of runs. And we'll continue that in a little bit later in the episode. Um, and runs batted it, RBIs, uh, is still the highest ever produced by any major league player. He holds several records uh, up until the end of last season which is the 2022 season that I'm referencing, which includes the highest career batting average, still holds a record, 366. Uh, most career batting titles, he has 11 or 12, depending on the sources. Uh, baseball is an interesting little sport. There's different records, which whatever. Uh, he did retain many other records for almost half a century including most career hits until 1985, uh, most career runs until 2001, most career games played and at-bats until um, the modern era record for, and the modern record for most career stolen bases until 1977. He still holds the career record for stealing home the most. 54 times this animal stole home. And uh, for stealing second base, third base, and home in succession. So he got on hit a single, stole second, then he stole third, then he stole home. He held the record. He's done it four times. And the youngest player to ever compile 4,000 hits and score 2,000 runs. He uh, Ty Cobb ranks fifth all-time in number of games played and committed 271 errors, the most by any American League outfielder. Yikes. So I do apologize a little bit. I did go full baseball nerd on you there. That's okay. It's something I'm passionate about. I love history. love baseball. And uh, I don't truly love Ty Cobb. But two of the three, not bad. I mean, that's going to get you in the Hall of Fame, right? So for the non-baseball fans, that means he was really good at the sport. Doesn't mean 
he was a really good person. I mean, you look at this guy and you're going, all right, there's there's something up with this guy, and we're going to dive into that. Ty Cobb was known for having a very, very bad temper, and just that Southern guy in the 1900s really was transparent in a lot of times. So uh, obviously they grew up. And they lived through an era where there wasn't, you know, 24-7 media coverage, sports coverage, no ESPN, no breaking news, not everything that ever happens on your phone, which for him was probably a good thing. But the heckling, obviously, there's still fans that go out, they heckle players, which means, you know, they, they call them names. They try to really get under their skin, especially the really good players. And obviously... He was a really good player. So they really tried to get under his uh, skin and, and the way that fans and everything, it was pretty brutal. But back in the day, this baseball, it wasn't uncommon to see teammates fight each other in the dugout uh, before a game, after a game. Coaches and players would get in fights, and sometimes even fans and players would get into altercations, which now if it happens, big trouble. Back then, if it did, it wasn't really documented very well that there was a lot of trouble but let's talk about one of the most infamous, if that's the correct word, that just happened in 1912. And it's very, very ugly. So, again, keep in mind that Ty Cobb was from a different era, different time, and he was Georgia, hence the nickname, you know, Georgia Peach. And uh, he lived very deep in the South in Georgia. One of the worst things that you could do to somebody and a Southerner in, in those times was to call or insinuate that they were uh, black or of African-American. Well, naturally, certain hecklers, they knew how to get under their skins, and some of them were brave enough, dumb enough, because you know the old saying, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. They decided, hey, we're going to heckle them pretty good. And this included Claude Luker. I'm pretty sure I said it right, but there's a good chance if you've watched this that I'm just bad at pronouncing names. It's like my my kryptonite. Uh, but Claude, we'll just go with Claude, a fan of the New York Yankees, was taunting. Oh, there we go. Let's, he's a fan of the Yankees. That explains a lot. Was taunting Cobb, like many others did, from the very start of the game. He wasn't having a lot of luck really getting under Cobb's skin. So he says, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and call him and insinuate that he is half black. That really fired Ty Cobb up. The, it was just kind of, you know, the um, the tip of the iceberg, if that is there. Uh, fellow outfielder Sam Crawford did try to kind of talk Cobb down, tell him to let it go. He didn't. And here comes the incident. Cobb then charged into the stands and began to attack the Claude Heckler fan of the Yankees. Keep in mind, this is where it uh, gets a little bad. Uh, the fan was disabled. He was missing one hand, was missing most of the fingers on the other one. Didn't have a lot of opportunity to really protect himself or fight back. Then the crowd was yelling at Cobb. He was just continually hitting and hitting and was just kind of ruthless. Remember, this is one of the most gifted athletes of all time. Now just beating on a disabled uh, heckler and fan and reports say that the only reason that he actually stopped hitting him was because cops umpires and anybody else had to physically drag him away there's a couple of quotes um, that are out there more or less it was saying he didn't care even if this guy didn't have any feet he was going to continue to 
hit him. So kind of a ugly situation, obviously, there. One of the ugliest in baseball. Uh, the American Leaguer obviously was then suspended. Uh, ban Johnson, oh, ban, obviously banned him, who was the president of the league, suspended Cobb indefinitely and fined him $50, which is equivalent, according to a quick Google research, of about $1,600. So obviously, Cobb, not loved by the teammates and the rest of the Tigers, though. They said, hey, we're going to go on strike until he was reinstated. So then the Tigers, needing to field the team, they ended up getting college students and, you know, anybody that could play baseball, the kind of like a Sandlot style players in just to form a team. So the Tigers needed, uh, needed some help. They went on strike, even though he wasn't a great teammate. And what they did is they ended up reducing his suspension to 10 games. And even though through the whole time he did urge his teammates to return to the field and their strike, they got the 10 games they ended up going on and playing back for some baseball so this is where i could end the story but there's more allegations of ty cobb so i said you know what let's continue to do this he was actually linked to betting so during the dead ball era which obviously was a little bit boring i did reference a little bit earlier the runs were really low games were won or lost because trying to get the runner they just did it one base at a time. Again, a much different game than you watch today. Stolen bases, hit and run, sacrifice bunts. That's how they got people on, and they just kind of moved them around. It was very one nothing, 2-1. Pitchers going 10, 12, 20 innings in one day. You don't see that anymore. But either way, not only were some of these guys out there betting and fighting, but a lot of this stuff after. And in the dugouts, you could even have some beers that you can smoke, which is gross. But either way, you could have some beers, and I couldn't imagine how many people would like to drink topless. And you're thinking, drink topless? Well, sure. No, 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 no. Have the top off of their can. You could do that with the draft top. These things are absolutely amazing. They actually take the top off the can, so you get that if you're drinking like an IPA or something, you don't have to pour it into a glass and let it aerate. Top's off. You're drinking topless. It's going to aerate for you and these things are amazing and if you're a bar or a restaurant restaurant listening to this the draft top pro is now available they have a kickstarter going this is uh, amazing and something that i use i bring out to parties and everybody wants to use this and the lift they just incorporated it's amazing i truly believe it there's a link in the description if you want to check it out and if you want to save a little money use code beardlaws that's again drafttop.com check it out and you can thank me later a lot of the runs weren't home runs. They weren't hitting them out of the park. They were actually like inside the park. So they'd rip it into a gap, sprint around the bases and get in. So prior to 1920, though, gambling and baseball, they kind of went together like peanut butter and jelly, spaghetti and meatballs, horse and buggies, bookmakers. They openly plied their trade in players who were celebrities, high rollers. They were treated like kings and invited to actually participate in betting at the racetrack, in gambling parlors, backroom poker games, and even at the ballpark. Baseball's powers, they actually encouraged this behavior because attendance was booming. Even when their own players were involved in game fixing, baseball executives, they just kind of looked the other way because the money was good, the game was good. Um, well, the fixing of the 1919 World Series, uh, in the words of um, F. Scott Fitzgerald, destroyed the faith of 50 million people. It certainly was nothing new to baseball, though. I mean, at least five World Series According to many reports over the year, the 1905, the 1912, the 1914, 1918, the 1919 were all rumored to have been influenced by game fixers. The 1919 Fall Classic, which was actually won by the Cincinnati Redlegs, obviously had the whole Chicago White Sox conspired that they threw the series. And that was just kind of when they had uh, enough. 
allegedly. At least two dozen incidents are known where players from opposing teams were kind of like in cahoots and actually threw games in the final day of the season. Players, what they would do is they would actually pool their money and bet on the team that would win these fixed contests. And if you're only listening to this, I did the air quotes with the win. In 1919, uh, the Cleveland Indians were in Detroit facing Ty Cobb's team. Here we go, Ty, you're back in the news. And then they made an arrangement. Neither the Cleveland Indians nor the Tigers were going to win the pennant that season. The Tigers were in a tight scrum with the Yankees for third place. At that time, a third place finish would mean a small share of the postseason money for every single member of the Tigers. So the Indians had second place locked up. So you got Ty Cobb, you got Speaker of Cleveland, and uh, a couple of other people. They huddled before the game. It was September 25th, and they just kind of said, hey, let's work out these details. So Speaker, he assured Cobb that he wouldn't have to worry about the outcome of the game. The Cleveland team preferred, Speaker insisted, that Detroit finish in third. By uh, by virtue of that finish, the Tigers were likely to make about $500 for each player. Remember, $50, $1,600. That's some good money. Cobb, Speaker, Detroit pitcher Dutch Leonard, and the Cleveland pitcher Smokey Joe Wood all agreed to conspire in the fixing of the game. The four agreed that they might as well bet some money on the game as well. Cobb was allegedly to put up $2,000, Leonard $1,500, and Speaker and Wood $1,000 each. Then Cobb actually suggested a park attendant named Fred West would be the guy to take the bets. Detroit was a 10-7 favorite because of the local bookmakers were kind of unwilling to handle so much money. West only managed to get down $600 against the bookmakers, $420 for the three betting partners. All right. Tigers won the game, obviously, on the 25th by a score of nine to five, scored four runs in the first two innings. The Indians committed three errors, which appeared very sketchy. Cleveland starter Elmer Myers was uh, perhaps tipped off of the uh, the fix. Maybe he didn't, but he floated a, a lot of pitches to the play for Detroit. And then a uh, speaker banged out three hits, all of them while after the Tigers already had control of the game and the outcome was clear. But the four men. There were some letters exchanged later. They did kind of um, write about it, but of course they shared their regrets. Uh, but they claim all along, and they continue to stick with the story, they did never got the bets in. It just kind of, their their plans, they were fizzled because they really didn't bet on it. They were gonna, but they didn't. It didn't work out, but are you guys buying that? Because I'm not. So rumors swirled around the 1919 World Series, but that was sadly par for the course in the era of suspicious characters in the game of baseball. Took another full year late into the 1920 season for the dirty story to be revealed of the Black Sox, the eight crooked players who threw the World Series. But even then, Cobb and Speaker were safe in assuming that their gambling endeavor in 1919 was never going to be an issue. Hmm. There was also several links where Ty Cobb was like, no, we didn't bet baseball. We were clearly betting the ponies. We're betting the horse. We're betting everything but baseball. I'm not buying it. It was it was a different kind of era. Now you have, I mean, college athletes and and other athletes in sports that, I mean, they're suspended. They're kicked out. They're in big trouble if they bet anything. So different times, obviously, back then. And so it kind of leads you to believe Ty Cobb. He was a great ball player, one of the best ever to play the game, but he was not exactly the greatest person. In fact, he may have been responsible for one of the ugliest incidents in baseball history when he beat a disabled person up in the stands. But yet, he's a Hall of Famer, and many of us baseball fans, or maybe it's just me, I'm sitting here thinking, 
why. But either way, it's a wild story. If you're in the Cooperstown area, check it out. And uh, man, interesting time. Different world, different time. But uh, this this was a cool article. This was a cool story for me to research. Definitely, definitely loved it. Shout out to several different sources where I was able to kind of read some stuff, put some stuff together. Bleacher Report, Wikipedia. It's always going to be Wikipedia. Sportscasting had a cool little, um, you know, knowledge on this. Sports Kita, Call to the Pen, VintageDetroit.com. All great articles, great websites. Feel free to check them out. And as always, we leave you with a little quote. And here's one from Ty Cobb. Every great batter works on the theory that the pitcher is more afraid of him than he is of the pitcher. This is another great episode. I can't thank you all for making it to the end of this episode, letting me penetrate your ears. Sorry, Zach couldn't make it, but he's going to be back next week for episode seven. I think it's going to be seven. But either way, Zach doesn't even know I recorded this one. So, Zach, if you're listening... You can thank me for not having to listen to baseball. But uh, either way, all kidding aside, thank you guys very much. We really appreciate everything. Feel free to check out the socials. Check out the merch. Check out whatever you want. We're not the boss of you. But again, this is a lot of fun. A nice little passion project to be uh, to be doing this. So again, thank you very much. We'll see you next week for the next episode. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a really good one. So stay tuned, everybody. All right, that's all I got. Okay, take care.